Welcome to the Freelance Dance, a weekly conversation between three experienced freelancers who are navigating the ups and downs and the ins and outs of the freelance dance. My name is Jake Knight, joined by my co-hosts, Marty Theory and Brandon Watts. Welcome to the Freelance Dance. Welcome back, everybody, to episode three. So happy you could join us this week. Is there a puppy crying? Yeah. And a special guest of a dog that is sad. Um, Leon, he's talking. (laughs) It's five o'clock, so he says, I need to go out. I need to go out. Um, Well, my name is Jake Knight, and I am assisted with my co-host, Brandon Watts and Marty Theory. Guys, how we doing? Pretty good. How you doing? Good. Good. We're pretending like we haven't talked for like 30 minutes before we did this. Yes. So this is the first time. Um, so good. So out, other than the, than the dog, how's work? How's work going? It's been, it's been a minute. A little busy, busier, trying to calm down, but not too bad. Okay. Brandon. Yeah. Just maintaining. <clears throat> Peaks and valleys. No, it's been, it's actually been pretty consistent, but uh, got some exciting stuff going on. Hopefully we'll see. Okay. All right. Nice. Um, yeah. I think things are going, it's going good for me. Um, kind of in a weird, a weird space, obviously with the, with the whole COVID thing and what companies are doing with marketing and not doing and um, random story with a, a client this week, I had my assistant set up a meeting to get, the emails from them. So we're going to do an email newsletter and they couldn't find them in their antiquated, like if it's a furniture store, they have this like random furniture wizard software this thing just by the name of it says it's probably like was designed in 94. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, furniture. no, no, it, it doesn't. It's just like their, their inventory, like invoice oh. management customer, probably their CRM for all practical purposes. Um, so they couldn't figure it out. So they scheduled, I said, you know, just schedule a time and I'll go in and just try to get it off the computer because I'm probably going to figure it out. So I showed up. They weren't expecting me, which was awesome. Um, and the best part, they had no emails. So they've not collected any emails. So Ooh. this this business has been in business for like 80 years. Um, and yeah. So anyway, so that was a fun client interaction this week to like set it up in the the owner didn't tell the like like office manager that I was coming, and so she had no idea. And, um, so I, I I wanted to share that because this week I thought it would be good to talk about whether we should or when when to hire a client, when to fire a client. Uh, I think in the service industry where you, where you're working with clients, there's this idea when you first start that you take everybody, you take every job, no matter what because it may be your last one. Um, so you have a little bit of that, like I'll do anything for anybody as long as I'm going to get paid for it. But then as you kind of progress as a business and as you grow into like what you're doing, sometimes you can find yourself, you have a, you have a, a client or two or three that you that really doesn't fit with the sort of work or interaction you like to do. Um, so that, that's what I want to talk about today. I just thought it'd be nice to, to take a look at what is what are some good client experiences you guys have had? Um, what are some client experiences where, like, is there a time to let a client go? How, how do you do it? Um, and is it is it okay? That's the other 
thing because it can feel like, especially if you're a small business, it can feel personal because a lot of the connections are personal, right? So, yeah, I think so. I think that, um, I think also too, would be useful to be to, you know, how are, how are we finding the right client? Like what's, what's, what are we doing to make sure, you know, because it's on us really, right? What, what, mm-hmm. are, what are our, uh, what are we providing or what are we doing to make sure that we're finding the right clients or we're, we're, um, <clears throat> reacting to our clients correctly or, uh, communicating all mm-hmm. that stuff. How, how do we, how are we, uh, how is our relationship with our clients and whether or not, um, they're, if we're doing it to ourselves, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so yeah, what, <laughs> whether or not we're, we're, we're basically getting the right, the same clients over and over and over again. And maybe we can find, find a different way of doing that if we're, if we're doing it to ourselves or. So, yeah. So that way to find clients. I think that's a great way to, so let's talk about the first thing about finding clients and maybe, maybe this question at what, at what point, or how, how did you guys, you know, when you first started doing your work, I mean, how do clients come to you? I mean, I have a pretty strong idea because it's probably how everybody's does when you first get started, but I'm just kind of curious about how did that initial me first few clients show up at your door? Well, um, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can find your clients, right? So usually if you're first starting out as a freelancer, it's going to be your ne- in your network your people that, you know, uh, word of mouth, um, Hey, son, aunt, uncle, somebody that we know is going to give you some work and you're going to get your first job and that job will take you to the next job. And hopefully it'll take you to the next job. There's also, um, you know, job boards. You could go to job boards to find clients. You could get a job. You can get your clients from your own website. You could advertise, you can cold email. Um, so those, that's where you could work plenty of places to find clients. Um, but for me personally, it was basically through my network and still is today. It's pretty much, it's all, all word of mouth. <clears throat> so, um, I hardly do any cold emailing or any, uh, not that I'm not to say that I'm not going to, or not, or don't want to, um, but I don't, I don't advertise or market or anything. And, haven't updated my website in probably 10 years. So, which is not, which is not what you're supposed to do at all because yeah, that, not a recommended uh, no, behavior. No, no, no. Not a... because of what's going to happen or what can happen. And you, you'll most likely end up where I've ended up. Um, if you only solely rely on your network, uh, basically the, the, you're, you're, you're essentially getting the same clients over and over again. Uh, yeah. Working with the same, the same mm-hmm. handful ish. Yeah. Bigger, same you type, know, same type. <laughs> or okay. in, in the same type, the same, same quality, uh, the same budget that can, that can keep, you could keep, uh, working on, you know, working with people who, uh, it may be not, maybe it's not something, maybe you're outgrowing what you, the client base you want and you want to move on to other things. And so you got to do other things to, to do that, to get to that next, to hit that next step. Okay. So then Brandon, I mean, Marty's got a, you know, referral kind of base mm-hmm. strategy. Where, where do you sit? Yeah. 
Well, I guess it changes over time, of course, kind of like Marty said, um, it starts out with just cold outreach. I mean, one of the things that I've done since I'm in PR, there are a lot of PR agencies, just like there are a lot of marketing agencies and web agencies. And um, <clears throat> I, I just reached out to a couple that I knew. I got a recommendation from someone that I knew into a PR agency. And it's someone I worked with for seven or eight years as a consultant through a recommendation. So that, like you said, a recommendation is is the ultimate thing. But I have really found success with just cold emailing people. I, I know it sounds so old school, but it does work if you're targeted and you have something to offer. And um, that's, that's how I've gotten most of my work. Now, my, my situation is much different because I do only manage, you know, two clients at a time and I usually hold them for a long time. So my experience is bringing on clients and, and turning them over is pretty minimal. Like my biggest client now I've had for five years, my other one I've had for over a year. So this isn't something I do frequently, but um, when I do need to find a client, I typically will rely on a network first. Hopefully I get a recommendation, so I'm not searching for a client. But other than that, I try to look for companies that typically are in a geography. That's how I tend to do my searches now. So I provide PR for tech startups, which there's tons of them and tons of categories. But versus specializing in a specific type of startup, my secret that I've found that seems to work is just focusing on a part of the world. It could be a city, it could be a region. For me, it's turned out to be Zurich, Switzerland. It's I've worked insane, with a man. lot of Swiss like startups. So random. It's very random, but how I got started in that was a company called Doodle, which has been around for a long time. And Doodle, I just cold emailed them. It's scheduling meetings, just a simple tool and worked with them for nine years as their PR guy. And it's the, it's, it has like 90% name recognition in Switzerland. So basically all the Swiss, Swiss people know Doodle. They've come across it or been invited to a Doodle. So when you tell people that you work for them and you work with them for nine years, there's already familiarity. Mm. And so like, if you look at top Swiss startups, I have multiple clients on that list. So it's easy for me to email someone in Zurich and say, hey, I've done this, this, and this for these people that you already know. And you can ask them, you know, get a reference. So that has been a really cool thing. I think, Jake, you kind of do a version of that, I guess, when we had a good opportunity to switch to your approach, because I think you do focus a lot on your local area. See, I don't focus on anyone in the U.S., which is ironic. I don't live in Switzerland, <laughs> but you're kind of the opposite. You take the local approach where you live, right? Is that correct? Yeah, and yeah, that's exactly. And I think out of necessity. So again, like I've said, I've, I've been in this space, at least working with businesses, whether it's family business or others, for about 20 years. So, you know, my, my first approach was, uh, and I was in IT, that's kind of, it was my initial path was, uh, you know, computer repair and that sort of like tech space. I just, I enjoy that. My brain understands it, um, you know, replacing RAM and computers and, you know, I don't know if I enjoyed it, but I was, it was easy to me and people would pay for it. So that's how, and so to get clients for that, I actually joined a networking group. It was like this is called Business Network International, BNI. Um, and I was probably part of that group. They meet weekly, some morning at like, I think 7 a.m. And I was not a morning person, which is the reason I drink coffee to this day. Um, black, because it takes too much work to like put all the sugar and everything else in it. Um, but through that group and just meeting contacts, other business owners would have me come and do something. And I worked for a car dealership and helped them with X, Y, or Z. And so that's kind of how my network expanded. But I remember one of my very first clients to build a website was my my mailman who wrote a children's book 
and he had this children's book and he wanted a website for it. And I think it was 300 bucks. And I thought like, I have made it. Like I have made it on the map. I'm getting paid $300. This is probably in 2005, maybe 2005 ish. Um, so I'd done a website for like my, my mom's dance studio and my band, I put a website, you know, super simple one together. So I had done some of that work, but this guy was like, well, my goodness. And it was horrible. It was not a good website. I'm just going to, for the record. And I had a couple more after that that were really not good. Um, but, but I think one of the things that both of you guys said that kind of resonated was this whole idea of this network growing that only happens if you do quality work. Cause if you don't do quality work, people aren't going to talk about you or share your information with somebody too. So I think probably the, the other takeaway that when you're working in client services, like you really, if from the get you focus on doing just good work and um, cause I lost clients initially on because of projects I'd done that were just garbage and I just didn't know what I was doing and, you know, chalk it up to an experience, but that very, very quickly, you can see how somebody will go, no, I, I don't want to pay you anymore or I'm not going to pay you. So having, having that like good work ethic and working with clients, I think is probably the, critical part. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about kind of next is communication style, because I've, I've had this thought for a while that like, I want a client to fit my customer service model. So what is my customer service model? My customer service model is I want a client to email me or however they want to communicate text, phone call. They don't expect me to drop what I'm doing and message them right back. So, so that's, that's what I need. I need a client that understands that they're gonna email me and I'll get back to them, guarantee. Um, what has been your guys' take? What is your preferred communication style when working with a client? Yeah, that's the same. That's the same thing. Um, yeah, I, 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 <clears throat> I think that um, you can try your best to make sure that, or try to at least, especially, cause we all have our favorite clients. We all have, you know, um, the ones that were, oh, I get to see their email in my inbox. Okay. That means, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to helping them. Um, but like, what do you do when you get somebody who, uh, emails or texts or expects you to respond immediately? Um, I think there's a bunch of things you can do beforehand to prevent that from happening. Um, I think there's a ton of things you can do, uh, you know, making sure that, your business hours are, are in the contract. Uh, even and then sticking maybe, to them, sticking to yeah, them, and then not messaging at them. nine at night. Yeah, exactly. So you don't be a part of the problem, right? So, you know, don't text or email somebody off business hours and then not expect them to respond to you back. You know, um, some email clients have a, have a, uh, especially if you know, you work when you work, right. But if you have a, if you can schedule that email, maybe to be sent the next day when you're responding to them, you know, some email clients have let you do that, let you schedule an email. Um, what else? Then maybe it's, it's on your, it's on your side too, to set, set the, uh, set their mind at ease. Right. So being able to communicate with them on a regular basis and then maybe saying, Hey, I will get back to you at this point at this part, you know, next week, or right. so-and-so, because then then you're kind of like, hey, or this is the way we're going to go. Instead of, I don't know when I'm going to hear from you again, please call me. 
please text me. I'm texting because you know, our clients, they, they're all, everybody's under pressure. You know, we have try to have empathy for them. What are they going through? They're under tight constraints or tight deadlines, or, or they're trying to start a new product or they're trying to start a new project, um, whatever it is. And so they're, they're under stress or they're under this crazy deadline. And so, you know, having to deal with somebody that, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're new, maybe you're new with them, or maybe they're, uh, they don't know what to expect. So, you know, being able to start from the top, you know, in the contract, uh, being able to effectively communicate during the project and, um, kind of, you know, hoping to, uh, set those expectations for them. That's great. Some great points. Uh, I heard contract, which is sadly, a lot of times we have a very weak contract with a client, especially when you're first starting, uh, but that helps set expectations um, and not being part of the problem by, by doing that. So Brandon, so you're working on yeah. clients that are on the other side of the globe. So I imagine the times has been a little bit, so how do you navigate that when like yeah. communicate with clients and. Yeah. After doing this for 15, 18 years, whatever it's been, depending on how you count it, it's, it's definitely changed a lot for sure. <clears throat> um, I first of all, I love what Marty said about putting your business hours in the contract. I've never done that, but that, that is, that is a, that's a pretty nice approach. It's reasonable, but I think that's a, that's a clever way to do it. But um, for me, I will tell you the biggest life hack you might want to call it for us who live in the United States is working with people in Europe. <clears throat> the time zone is in our favor. So Zurich is seven hours ahead of me. So think about that at 9am it is 4pm in Zurich. So, and, and they are, they, they work at a tech startup, so they will work through the night. You know, you'll get emails and things like that. But typically by the time I get up and start my day, most of my information's already come to me. So it's just a matter of me working through what's came through in that day. It is the secret sauce. I will tell you of working for yourself is time zones. Ironic that we talk about time zones. We had a little spirited <laughs> discussion before this was recorded, but that I can't help but think about it because I have found that is the secret weapon is when your client ends their day and you start your day, it's perfect because you just go through the list of things to do and you're not going to have unexpected emails. For, for instance, I'm not going to have an email at 5 p.m. my time, which is 12 at midnight Zurich. So when you my day's like over, three my day's over. Got? Literally the three I got from clients like exactly. before we started. Okay. And I just have curious. done that too. So I've had the opposite end where I've worked with West Coast when I was living in, on East Coast. And it would be, you know, it'd be 8 p.m. my time and they're still emailing because it's five over there, you know? <clears throat> so the time zone's a huge difference. I can't overstate that. I, I kind of stumbled into working with Europe, but for someone who lives in the U.S., it is great for your own sanity. You do not have these afternoon fire alarms that come through. That's my first point. No, and you, you heard it. No, that's first. great. Well, then, because even in the morning, then, like, your brain is even way better. Jobs. Is way better, like, active, right? Like, in the morning. So, and that, that's like, the if thing. there is a fire, you wake up and you're like fresh and. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so there's, a, there's elements to this. So, that's the main finding. But other than that, I am a huge fan of time blocking. I've become obsessed with this. And. I, I prioritize my couple clients, which, you know, it's not a lot to manage, but it's just a matter of, okay, it's 9am. I sit down to my desk. I know what I need to spend on this person. And then I switch to the next person. When I'm done, I'm done. Now that's not possible every day because being in PR is kind of, you never know what each day is going to bring a perfect example. Two days ago, 
uh, it was like 4 p.m. And then the New York Times emails and wants to talk to a client, which is not a regular occurrence. I mean, that's a that's a big deal. Yeah. And he and the reporter was based on the West Coast. So he was still working, of course. So I do have to deal with a little bit of this when I deal with reporters, if there's a deadline. So you better believe when I saw that email, I dropped everything. We got it scheduled. It's not like I said, oh, my time block for my clients over. <laughs> you do have to be adaptable <laughs> on that. But with your clients yourself, I found keeping them in a block is good. But if you're if like the press, which is who I work with, if they want to talk to a client, I will, you better believe I'll, I'll respond. So the thing is like, I am always looking at my phone and this is a problem because I have, you know, four email accounts for a variety of things and it's just always buzzing. And that is a source of anxiety for me, but I'm always seeing things as soon as they come in. And if it's not urgent, I don't respond to it. I wait for the time block that I have set up that day. Or if it's the New York times, I will respond right away. So I'm <laughs> so always connected. Me. Yeah, I'm yeah. always connected, but it doesn't mean I'm going to work. Okay. And that has been a huge, that's been a huge thing for me. Again, that's not a new concept, time blocking, but if you stick to it as much as you can, it makes your day so much easier. It really does. Sometimes that's, there are legitimate emergencies, you know. Of course. It goes down. Website yeah. goes down. That's kind of a big deal, you know, regardless exactly. of what time it is. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Um, especially if, if it's, you know, your client, if your client's in another country and you're yeah. trying to support them, that would be, that would be horrible. Also, uh, I like the tool, the, the, um, uh, Calendly where you can set your availability for meetings specifically. Cause I think a lot of times too, it's like everybody wants to have a meeting and making sure that if you can set those meetings up at a certain time, time blocking those, I think those are, that's also a useful tip with, with your clients being able to and say, you better, hey, this is when I'm available. Yeah. You, you better believe that because you work with Europe, I mean, it's not like it always fits into a tiny little time block. Like there are calls I have to do occasionally at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. because that's only the time when everyone's available. So that, that happens, but that's fine. I mean, that's just the intricacies of working. So I am flexible with, with things like that. But if you just pick your average work day where you sit down and you're just trying to work on a client, it's time block for me barring any emergency but jake what is your what's your approach marty and i have gone are you kind of a mix or you just a fire chaser like sometimes happens so so i i think probably pre-covid actually pre-2020 um i have add so like i love fires that's great like that checks off everything in my brain it's like ooh, something different this is fun it's terrible for productivity um so over the years i've kind of learned you know to focus at, you know, time boxing in essence, you know, some of those same things. Um, but kind of what I've done in that same mix is I understand that, and this actually was precipitated because I kept getting clients texting me, um, you know, in the evening about the rotator photo of blueberries needed to be swapped with sweet corn because the season had changed. And it's like, I'm trying to relax. But now all I can think of is there's a blueberry crisis and we need to address that immediately. I want to talk about that for a second, but when you, when you're done, let's talk about uh, that. Okay. Well, so, so what I did is two things. Um, I, I hired an assistant in January um, and slowly she was helping me with some things has now become, she manages my inbox uh, and my calendar. So what I, what I'll do is, um, She'll go through and find things in my inbox that are things that clients need me to, to do. She'll put them in Asana as a task. 
I put in how long it's going to take me to do that task. And then she puts it on my calendar. So when I log into my Google calendar, like for the day, I go, oh, great. Boom, 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 boom. I know everything that's going to be done. And then sometimes because I know my workflow, I'll go, well, I'll group these three things together. because These are all random, like random things. And I'll, you know, move this here. So that's been a game changer. And I'm still finessing and tweaking that. But I also, um, and you can't see it if you're listening, but I have two phones. I recently got a different number, a personal number. This number I've had for, you know, 15 years. Um, I decided to get a new number and a new phone and reward myself with a personal phone, not like uh, upgrade my business phone because that's like also a, uh, we tend to do that in the client service business. We use it for the business and as a write-off, which doesn't make sense anyway, another story. Um, and, and so now when I leave this phone, literally my work phone is on do not disturb from 5 PM to 7 AM. So it just, it just sits and it sits on my desk. I don't take this from my desk. So that's kind of how I've addressed it because I've worked with people that they reply to the email as soon as it comes in and they drop what they're doing and they fix this fire. And, and I don't have the personality. I, that doesn't work for me. It might work for somebody else, but that does not work for me. So. No, it's taken a long time to get to that spot where you understand that like, no, I don't need a client emailing me. And, but to your point, Marty too, I think, or even Brandy, I think you said the same thing. There are some emails that I get from, you know, the brewery. One of my clients is a brewery. And when that owner sends me an email, I'm going to, you bet I'm going to read it because I love working with them. I love helping them. And we have a great relationship. So, and I, and I like doing that. Um, but not everybody, but not everybody. We got to touch on a little bit of that before we get to that. And I want to talk about the blueberry crisis too, Marty. <laughs> but yeah, I, please. I, I want to find out first because you you are kind of like pro level on this. So Marty and I are talking about some pretty basic things. And, you know, here you have an assistant, which we got to talk about that. And uh, you're she's using Asana and you kind of got this whole flow going. Now, I think when, when, you know, the work from home thing, freelance thing, you saw all these, these virtual assistant services that was hot for a while. You don't hear about it as much anymore because it's, I guess it's so pervasive. It's everywhere. But when it first came out, everyone's like, you know, for 300 bucks a month, there were services that came up that did this for you. Mm-hmm. You pay them 300 bucks a month and someone probably in a different part of the world is, is getting paid very little to just kind of go through your information and, you know, yep. handle, handle your day. Um, Yours is different though. You actually know this person. It's, it's someone you were already friends yeah. with, right? Is that how yep. it's set is up? That, and how long does that job take? <clears throat> so you mean what she's doing for me? Um, I actually hired her. She quit her other job. Um, and in part to, to replace her income, she had like needed to work about 15 to 17 hours a week at what I was going to pay her to, to do that. So she is evolved. Like she's also, um, Yesterday was wonderful. I logged into MailChimp and she'd already pre-populated a newsletter with content that she'd acquired from the head brewer and from the chef and from the Google review that I had her do. So she's doing a lot of like actually really practical things that are freeing up. So updating websites, I'm training her how to make a WordPress update to a, to a website. Um, so it didn't start that way. And I started her just like I do a Google ads for clients and I have, like six on the regular every month and they get a report at the end of the month. 
I'm going in every month at the, I'm going in and grabbing the, I'm just copying and pasting the same information from the database. And I trained her how to do that. So now she does that. And that was the kind of the first step into it. Um, and as I've been learning and working from home more, my sister has a virtual assistant that's had for a few years. My sister's in the wedding industry. She's a calligrapher. And she just kept talking about how amazing this person was that kind of handles client interactions. And so I'm getting there. Um, she also is on every phone or video meeting that I have with a client. And she takes all the notes and she puts an action thing together at the end that says who's doing what. It's, you're talking, it's a game changer, man. Like no joke. So then it puts me on a different level with my clients too. They, they see me as a, is this not just Jake in a basement? My assistant's reaching out to them and taking care of stuff, which it is just Jake in the basement. Um, it's a new series on Netflix. It's, it's terrible. It. One star. <laughs> one star. <laughs> it's me. And it's me. I'm the one star. That's right. <laughs> uh, but this is all new. I'm still, I'm, still, I'm still getting used to leveraging an assistant. Oh, we got to talk about that some more. I mean, I think that's a huge part of client services. And it does level up your game. I mean, Marty, I can see Jake... You've got a lot of different components to your business, a lot of clients, a lot of interactions, a lot of incoming. I, I don't see it for myself with the way the business is that I have now necessarily. But Marty, I mean, what do you think about this virtual assistant? Part-time, obviously, maybe 10, mm -hmm. 15 hours a week. But what do you see a way to leverage that for you? Um, so when we all start freelancing or deciding that we're going to work for ourselves and no longer work for another company. We had these big ideas of, I'm just going to be able to do the work that I love and make and work with great people and great clients and great and create great things. And everything's going to be awesome. And then Woke you up. realize then. <laughs> yeah, then you realize that guess what? You have to do that, but you also have to run a business and have to yeah. talk to clients and have to schedule your time and have to email and have to uh, pay bills and pay for services and do, uh, do finances and uh, everything else that you have to do, <laughs> all this stuff. So besides, besides the reason why you want to do the work or the work that you're good at, you have to be good at all of those other things too. And so, and I keep hearing this like, and you know, Jake, I keep hearing about how these, uh, the uh, either the freelancer is going to focus in on one specific part of either doing the, the work or doing the business. And it's really hard to do both. And so, and I think that's the difference between how, this, how successful you are. Uh, and I guess it depends on the work you're doing and especially, but I feel like the industry that uh, Jake and I are both in about building websites or building marketing websites for companies or doing the marketing for companies. Um, there's so much more to that than just, you know, create, you know, coding or, or designing, um, which is the fundamental, right? That's what they're hiring you for, right? They want you because you're a professional at coding or professional designing, but they're also hiring your whole business with you. And their whole, that time that it does, that it takes to figure out how you're going to do the work and, and do it the best way and provide the best, services and to provide the best updates and all that other stuff that they're hiring you for. Um, so like, I love the fact that you have somebody like, I mean, to me, that's the ideal, like, that's the thing, like I, 
I would love to have somebody who I could just say, Hey, look, I need you to go and go in and, and, and make these updates to this WordPress websites. And I need you to go in and, 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 uh, provide quality assurance for, or, you know, make sure that QA this, this thing that this feature that we just built or test this and make sure I didn't miss, miss anything, go through the whole, all the, all of the requirements for this part of this project. So that way I can make sure that I finished, you know, I did everything that was supposed to be done. Uh, stuff like that, you know, that, that to me is super valuable. Um, and then be somebody who'd come in and schedule my time would be ridiculous. <laughs> so that I, I'm telling you, that is, that, that, that sounds is next awesome. level, man. That is, that is next yeah. level, especially when, so personally I have a challenge it's because of the ADD. I have a challenge prioritizing it's, there can be like the house on fire and I'd be like, I wonder what my comic book collection, I wonder what that's doing right now. <laughs> like, I wonder if I should go look back through that and see if they're worth anything. Like but that literally my also, brain does not do that. Yeah. I think too, also you're really good at something, right. And you're maybe not as good as the other thing. And I think that the value that you're providing to your client, you gotta be, you gotta be the best at that. You gotta do the good, you gotta go where your value is at. Uh, and then maybe, have somebody who else is, but who's, who's just as good, maybe doing that other stuff or focus is able to focus in on other stuff. I have a little bit of ADD. I don't know, or I don't know what it is, but I have this thing where I want to refactor. Like I want to refactor how I'm doing things or how, I, how, what's the best way to do this or what's the best way to, to, to write this code. Is this the right way? Is this the right way to design? I, I constantly thinking in systems and how to re how re, re make it something more of into a system or automate it or, or something, there's gotta be a better way to do it instead of just doing it. Right. <laughs> Cause some people just want to get in, Hey, let's get it done and get it out. Right. And if you're under the wire and if you're, if you're on a due date, yeah, I can do that. That's fine. I can do that, but I'll hate the code or I'll hate the design. But, um, I think, but going back to it, what you're, you're good at what you're good at. And I think it takes a lot of humility to go and say, Hey, look, can somebody else, can you do this for me? So that way I can focus in on what I need to focus in on and providing the best value for my client. And I, and I appreciate that, that it's, yeah, call it humility, call it, I think probably maturity is a little bit of it too, you know, doing it for as long as I'm doing it. I'm like, what are the, what are the things that I keep getting stuck in that I hate? Cause I think that's a lot of times with client services, you, just because you get good at something doesn't mean you like it. Like I run Google ads for clients. That is not what I want to do every day is look at the Google ads analytics and rewrite a 30 character headline, 19 different ways. Like I, I don't enjoy that. It pays well. It's a necessary part of my business to do that. But like to your point, I'm just trying to automate the other parts of my business. Like this afternoon, I'm just, you know, full disclosure, uh, three o'clock came, I unplugged my wife and I went to the beach and that's where I was at before I got on this call. My assistant was still working on doing things this afternoon that I would have been doing. Um, that's a choice, you know, I'm making that choice, but also another full disclosure, thanks SBA loan for giving me some, some, some cash in the bank to help me make that decision. Cause that's a, that's a risky decision when you're a freelancer to go, I'm getting X amount of dollars in every month. And now you want me just to like wholesale, pull a chunk off of it. Like, yeah, it's still going to bring the value back. <clears throat> slow down to speed up, slow down to speed up. That's, yes. that's what it is. Brandon, would um, you be able to 
benefit from a, an I'm, assistant I'm, like that? I'm so fascinated by all of this. So I, I had years ago, I had two people work with me and I think we have to classify. So Marty, so Jake, yours is like an assistant with some, I guess, technical skills like report building or whatever. Marty's talking about almost like also a semi junior web developer, I guess. Right. Marty like could go mm-hmm. in and fix code. So it's, it's probably an assistant yeah. plus, right? Like also technical skills. Possibly. Yeah. I, a lot of it could be, yeah. Creating email newsletters, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So similar, so similar, I guess, but um, no, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. Cause I, I had two writers. people. Yeah. I had two people work with me for two years and this was when we all go through this phase. You guys have probably been through it where you say, okay, I've been doing this myself for a long time. What would it look like if I had a couple people work with me? And again, these weren't assistants. They were part of the team. And, um, it was a learning experience for one thing. I mean, it really was, it was a good experience in many ways and they, they were very helpful. But I, the thing that I realized about myself is that I was stressing out, making sure that I, I was bringing in more work than I needed necessarily to make sure I could pay the people. And that's when I was like, something's wrong here. Like, and I was still subcontracting with an agency and that's how I made most of my money because the money I made with Wattsware basically went to them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was it was kind of backwards like you have these experiences where you try things out and um it was it was good in many ways and I'm really glad I did it but there's a reason I'm back to working by myself um but that's that's talking about people on your team the assistant side of it that you guys are really talking about um I don't know what they could do for me at this point because they would have to almost be a part of the PR team kind of like what I did before but ultimately I love to have someone who like does my accounting and does some very light admin work. I could probably use someone eight to 10 hours a week. And and And, that's the thing. You can find people that are in the gig economy that are looking to just do a few hours and they might be a super talented stay at home mom, dad, who just wants to to spend, you know, I just want five hours to just get back into some of that technical stuff that I, that I used to be part Mm -hmm. of or that I enjoy. Um, She also does my invoicing for me, which is great because then I don't have to invoice clients. I'm not the, I'm not the point person for money which is that's great handling, is, handling that billing contracting side too. That's a lot of work. It's it a is. lot of work. And it, it, it's almost, I mean, honestly, like I want to do the work, but I don't want to do the work. That's like getting me the work, <laughs> you know, that is, like, so true. I, that is so true. It's like, I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to figure out the hours that it's going to cost to do this and then send it to you. Then we have a discussion about how much hours it's going to take. And, and then go back and forth until you sign that. You know what? This is so, so full circle. (laughs) Right. So full circle. So this, so we're talking about clients because this is a nice, and we kind of digress a little bit into some systems or way we do our business. But when it comes down to clients, there is a time when you're setting yourself up for either success or failure when it comes to like client interactions long-term. So kind of talked about the process of getting clients in the door. Um, and keeping them do, you know, doing good work. But you said something just now, Marty, that made me think about the, the trading hours for dollars and, and the viewpoint of a client when they look at you as a clock and how much they're getting from that section of time they think is taking. So, so maybe we could just take a little bit and, and say, what's the difference between a project-based fee or an hourly-based fee? And how do you, how do you guys handle that? in in your businesses so maybe brandon could you could you speak to that first while i want marty to like think about this for a minute 
he's he's gonna have something very profound i can feel <laughs> it oh man i could talk about this for hours too i love this topic so in my business and like like yours um there are people who want to pay per project like for instance i want you to write a press release and pitch it to the top you know press for a month there's people who expect the retainer model and then there's people who this is this is another thing that I refuse to do is pay per uh, pay per performance if I can say it. So in the PR world, there's clients who will say, "I will only pay you if you get me results." Now that sounds great for them. I mean, they get the results and they pay. It doesn't work so great for a PR agency where you're not guaranteed. You can't guarantee results. We're not we're not trading value. It's not like sales where someone's paying us and then we get you, you know, an ad. That's like we, saying. I design this logo for me. If I like it, I'll pay you. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of it has to do with the company itself. Like if they don't have something great to say, then you're putting yourself in the corner because no one's going to cover it and you're not going to get paid. But I've seen a, there, there are, there is a, a class of clients that expects to, to negotiate ahead of time. You know, this type of press hit is worth $1,000. This type of press hit is $500 and they will only pay you for those press hits that's just not the way PR works. That's why I work with clients for years because it is a relationship building business and you have to build a reputation. You can't just hop in and, you know, get on good morning America. It doesn't work that way. So I guess the way I I would talk about it. So the the two main things, project and retainer, I do not do project-based work. I am strictly retainer. Um, That's more acceptable probably in my line of work. That's how PR agencies typically work. Define that because I think I I don't I have a different view of retainer maybe than somebody else and I think of like a lawyer like I'm like curious about how that works for you. Yeah. So kind of like Marty said, I I don't want to scale up a client only to work with them for like a month. It's just not worth it. I would have to charge so much for that that it would not be worth it for me or the client to do that. I, I'm not interested in, in that type of thing. I'm interested in productized services, which is a whole nother thing. That's that's different. But a, a project-based client interaction that's like, you know, I want to give you two grand to do this or $700 to do this. It's too much work for me and the way I work to do that. Retainers, so the way a retainer works for me is I give an approximate number of hours that I'll spend on the client each month. And I get paid the same amount. So it's easy for me to forecast because I know exactly what I'm getting each month. And I have never had trouble with that form of payment. Um, people are, expect it just like they do with a lawyer. They expect it with PR agencies because the work comes in phases and they need you to be available for an unspecified number of hours. And they also know that, you know, it's going to take, you know, six to 12 months to really see the impact of a PR campaign. There's elements to it. And so that's, that's really why a, a retainer works great. I am a fan of the retainer model. Probably it's a little selfish because of course I would be. It, it makes my life easier. But I do think it makes the client's life easier because I'm always available. I only have a couple clients, so I over-service those accounts because they're paying me the same amount each month. Like they can count on me. They don't have to ask, hey, are you available to do this? Or Because I'm always that's available. Super, that's super rare in the client services business because I, I think – even for the majority of my working time, you just never knew what next month's income was going to be. You just never knew, is it going to be higher? Is it going to be lower? Will it be the same? So having that like scheduled, regular income coming in, that's incredible. Yeah, that, that's, and that's, you know, for us, that's what we're looking for. And that, that's what's been helpful for me. 
I do want to event another episode. We'll probably talk about productized services because that's very fascinating. That's different for me than a project-based business because people can come in and come out of the system pretty quick. And there's a lot of value to that. When I think of project-based, I'm thinking of someone who's like, like Marty and Jake, you guys like, I'll pay you $300 to do a logo. Like, it's just not, don't even talk to me. You know, it's like, it's too much work to even talk to you about making the logo, not even making it. So well, and I and I think this is the other thing. Just a segue for anybody listening that is just starting out, it might seem a bit insane to say we'll just turn away money because it's going to be too much work. But the longer you do the work, again, as we're talking about working with clients, how much time is it actually going to take to work with the client? How many revisions are they going to want? How many times are you going to be having emails? Are they going to be happy with the end product? Um, so I think that's a that's also a learned, and maybe even as the the side hustle becomes more the main hustle, and you have more financial freedom to make that decision, you can say, "Hey, I don't want to take this five hundred bucks. Like I'll be fine." Whereas, I know for the initial days, probably all of us have been like, "Man, geez, five hundred bucks would be great. I'll take, I'll take that." So, but there's wisdom in your words, Brandon. Like, because because that is that is the case as we're talking about long term. Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've done, I've done the $500 projects. We all have, and there's no shame in that. But again, all of us on this call, we've been doing this for, you know, 15 plus years or so. And it, you know, it, it, you do have to adjust over time and you learn that, but I'd I'd love to hear Marty's thoughts on that for sure. Well, a lot smarter people have, have been talking about this or writing books about this. I mean, obviously, uh, there's, um, you know, project-based, hourly-based, and value-based pricing. So those three different ones. And project-basing is based on how much you think this project's going to cost. Hourly is based on how much time you think you're going to invest into it or how much time you're going <clears> to, <throat> how much time it takes to make it. And value is based on how much you think this thing is going to do uh, for this company and then take a percentage of that, um, which is a which is a uh, a pretty interesting, I've never done it. I want to do it. Um, but that's kind of, that's the, essentially every freelancer's goal is to get to value-based pricing. Um, Chris Doe talks about it. This guy from the future, uh, Brennan Dunn talks about it. Um, a couple of books, different books, hourly billing is nuts by Jonathan Stark talks about value-based pricing. Um, I don't know. Is Paul Jarvis and company one talk about value-based pricing? Yeah. Great book. And, uh, and then, um, this other guy stopped thinking like a freelancer, um, Liam, Liam Veitch, which is another good book. Um, the, you know, that's where you want to be. But reality is, is that you have, usually you have a, you know, you have to, (laughs) if you're, if you're coming into a project, um, and you haven't explained the whole value-based pricing to them at all, and they're not used to that it's going to take a little work to get to that. And you have to be really, really confident and really know the business and really know what they're, what you're building for them in order to come to a, back to a, a, uh, a client who, and again, this is, this is based on who the client is, you know, and say, okay, this logo, okay, let's just take that. A logo is going to bring you how much business next, this next year, how much business do you think this logo, how much improvement do you think this logo is going to do for you? And they could say, I, I wanted to do the most. I don't know. And then you could ask them, uh, how much, uh, how much money are you bringing in now? Okay. Well then how much money do you think if we improve your branding, how much money do you think is going to help just give, give them a guess 20%. Okay, cool. So now 20% times, is that a month, a year? Okay. 
Now take that. And, uh, you know, what's your, what's your yearly gross? All right, cool. I want 25% of your yearly. <laughs> that's how much your logo is going to cost. Look, and we're and all laughing. That's a wrap. That's and, a wrap. Yeah. We're all laughing. And they're like, and then you're like, so, but here's the thing. If I don't build that brand for you, if I don't make that logo for you, are you going to get that? Are you going to get that extra 20% for the whole year? I and know. who knows? I love, I love that you went to that space because I think a lot of times as client services, we don't emphasize the results. Right. We, we talk about the process. We talk about how many hours and how many until the deliverable is going to get there and then what they can expect in this time frame and this thing. But the, uh, but spending some time focusing on, on the results. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm actually a big fan of that for any of the, the companies that I go in to work with. Um, I ask, like, because I, I always say marketing is the job to grow the business. But if I don't know what the business is doing right now, I'm not in a position to grow. And I have no benchmarks. I have no, I'm not able to see what might work, what you've done in the past that is different. So I love all, everything you just said. That's, and a lot of times the client's not yet. A lot of times the client's not really prepared to talk about that stuff. They don't, they don't expect you, they don't expect you to talk about it with them. And so it, it can't, you can't, you know, that's why you have to present yourself in a way that's going to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to really work with this person because I don't know if that I can afford that. Whereas it's also going to be on the other side. It's going to be extremely attractive to other people because they're going to be like, okay, well now I know what to expect. And I know that I'm going to get this, this product that's going to be amazing because it's going to actually do, do results, you know, and that's maybe something that says, Hey, this is what we did for this company. And this is how much it made them. And this is what, what, you know, being able to bring that data back, who knows, but um, going back to like our, how I do it. So reality, (laughs) I would love to be in the value-based pricing, but reality, what I do is uh, it's, it's all about, it's all about scope of work and getting all the details and interviewing, interviewing your client for that project and seeing and getting, going through every step of the way of all the things that they want to do and ask them if they want to do this and do that and getting in and t- seeing how much knowledge they have about this and that. And then it's just itemizing it out and, and using a, 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 a rate that I, I believe is fair and using that rate to ter- determine how much time it's going to take to create each individual little itemized packet and or feature or fix or whatever it's going to be. Uh, and then that's how much, how much I usually determine how much a project's going to cost. On the other side, I also provide support for companies on a regular basis. Like, so, uh, you know, you pay me this amount a month, I automatically provide you these services. Then the other, another one is enhancements or features. I provide a certain amount of uh, support for enhancement or features at a set, at a set rate. And however long it takes, however long I think it takes to, to help to build that feature, that's how much I'm going to charge you. And that's how much you're going to get invoice for. And that's also in the contract. So they're also signing up for that too. They know that if you're asking for enhancements later, this is how much it's going to cost. That That's helpful because they know that they know what to expect and they're not just going to keep, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. So. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's a lot that um, I know even so personally, if it's not expressly written in a contract, then you don't know if you should build them for this thing. Are they expecting it free? Those like not having those expectations met a prime reason uh, clients and like 
uh, how that all fails. Um, the breakdown can happen very quickly when they're thinking they're paying for X and then you don't do it because you, they're not, but those expectations aren't clear. So, um, so I've, I've gone in, a, I've got an hourly rate, um, but I have a typical, like if I have to touch a project or a client, it is a base, like it is, I, and for me, it's an hour. Yeah. It's an, it's an hour, if I'm, if I'm dropping what I'm doing and I'm going into making a change, updating something for that client, it is an hour. Sometimes de depending on the client, I'll do a 30 minute break, but there's quite a sizable amount of research that says when you stop what you're doing and you start something else, like there's, there's a time cost of stopping what you're doing, starting what you're doing, you know, all that stuff. So, but I've also found the benefit of project pricing and just going, you know what, for, for me, I'm going to guess, I've been doing it long enough. Like let's say website, this, this website redo is three grand. I just, in my, in my, like it's $3,150. So now what I'm going to do is go, okay, I, you know, I've done the breakdown of like, the site's already there. Can I copy it? Can my assistant do some of the work? Yep. I'm going to make that risk and assume that like that is a number that the client's comfortable with. Cause that's the, that's the other thing. And I, we can probably talk about this some other episode, but um, in doing work in the, in like nonprofits, uh, uh, chambers of commerce, visitors, bureaus, sometimes those companies, even other companies, corporate companies, they have a line item that says, in my budget, a new website is 30 grand. You send them a proposal for three and they go, thanks. And they just don't ever even reply to it. So there is also, I think, the balance of figuring out in your industry what is expected and what do they expect. And I don't think this is an ethical conversation. I don't think this is a, like this is capitalism. There's, there, this is how business and commerce works. Um, I think that's the ethical thing is just providing the, the good work that if you're going to be billing, whatever you're billing, but that's, I think a, a good component too, is like, what is the standard that they would expect to pay for a service? And can you do that and bring value? We have to talk about that. <clears throat> that is, that is so important too. the pricing conversation. I, I know I've talked to both of you probably separately about this, but that's one of the biggest things I learned is that you raise your rates you get better clients automatically, just like Jake said, because they know what it costs. They're not stupid. They can Google things. They can talk to other competitors. If you are very underpriced, you, you think that's going to make them hire you, but it doesn't. It actually makes them almost feel pity for you. <laughs> they, yep. they, they're like, what are you doing? And it, I have raised my rates a couple of times over the years. And every time I did it, it just was, it was like, why did I do this sooner? I probably should do it again, to be honest with you. It's just, it, I've never seen a ceiling on that. You just get a better and better client that takes you more and more seriously. Yeah. And then also I think too, is um, going back to productizing. I'm tired of having the pricing conversation personally. Yep. I want to say, I want to say this is how much it's going to cost for this thing and show you the value of how much it's going to cost. And maybe, maybe it's something that uh, maybe there's different options. And then this is the, here's the, here's the pricing for that. And that's it. And so um, I've learned, I've learned that over the past year or so of that. I need to move to that type of element where I need to stop negotiating how much things are going to cost or how much things are going to, here's the, here's this thing. This is how much it is. And this is what, and then 
it, it's, 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 so, it's pretending you're on a shelf, that you are on a shelf right. and there's a price yeah. tag and they have the option. Yeah. I want to put this in my cart. I'm going to take it home and I want right. to cuddle it on the couch. Do I want to do and, that? And yeah. And then, and, but ha- having, having options too, because then you can say to the, the, then the client knows what they're expecting say, okay, this is what I'm getting for this. This is what I'm getting for this. And this is what I'm getting for that. And it's, you know, and then there's no question. There's a, is no decision to make. There's no, okay. The, or the, that's the decision. You have three options. Which one are you going to go with? So, so yeah. let's, let's, I think that's phenomenal. I've done the exact same approach um, and probably got my largest contract ever by doing that three tier approach. They chose this lowest, which was still my highest ever monthly fee to charge somebody. Um, and, and they thought they were getting a deal and they thanked, have thanked me numerous times. Um, we can talk about that some other time, but I, I love that. So, so let's talk about when it comes time to fire a client, when you get to a relationship, when you just know like this is not good. Um, and maybe what is the not good in your, in your world, Brandon? What does that look like when a client is not good? They're not a good fit for you anymore. Yeah. So because, because it is such a relationship business on my side, it really is. And you got to get to know and trust the people because you're representing them. Um, I typically find that out very quickly. I've never had to fire a client, which is shocking because I've been doing this for a long time, but I haven't because there's usually a good match. You determine it right up front. Now, of course I've had clients quote unquote fire me. I mean that, that happens. And uh, you know, for instance, maybe we had a three month contract and it just didn't get what they wanted. And that was it. That's not necessarily firing. It's just the end of the contract. They didn't renew, but my goal is to renew it. That's, to me, that's almost a firing, just reaching the end of the contract. Um, and honestly, those, are, those have been the experiences where relationships have been cut short when we did confine it to a short amount of time. And I know PR is different from your, your guy's world. So it's, it's just a different, different world that I play in with that. But um, I haven't had to fire anyone. I, I hope that day doesn't come. But I can see in more of a transactional business, when you're dealing with more people, the chances are going to increase. Um, and that's just the way it is. So I, I haven't had that experience personally. Yeah, Marty, let's, let's, uh, we'd like to hear, I feel like there's a, there's a fresh wound that you well, might be able to share yeah. or don't, uh, if you don't want, you know, <laughs> hypothetically speaking here. So you have to, you have to like, just like with any relationship, you have to see the, 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 uh, everything that happens in the beginning, right? and and try to try to understand you know they want it if they want it done too quickly or too cheap uh are they giving you real feedback are they just saying hey make it pop um and specifically we're talking about (laughs) from our from our from (laughs) not necessarily pr but you know yeah uh from a designer or or a website or marketing thing um extremely nitpicky um uh, promise empty promises. Like, uh, you know, this is you're to get an investment for this or promise of future work, um, or just even a, just a bad vibe, like, <laughs> you know, so those things you could see from the beginning, but I was kind of in, I, I had to fire a client recently and it was in a different, it was in a different, um, experience where everything started out wonderfully and one of the better clients i've ever had started out at least um there are a little bit of signs here and there of things they called that the honeymoon phase yeah the honeymoon phase no this lasted <laughs> for two years well two two or three years 
um, and everything was fine. Uh, paid on time. Everything, you know, everything was good. Relatively uh, decent contract. Um, but uh, things happen and people, people, life changes and you don't, you don't know what happens to people in their life and things happen and they just stop paying. And so once you stop paying, uh, you know, I'm a small business. I'm a per- one man per- company of one. Uh, if you don't pay me, I, I can't keep doing the work for you. So, um, and I gave them multiple opportunities, multiple times to try to fix it and multiple times <laughs> come back. And, and cause I, you know, I want to, I don't want to, I'm not just going to fire anybody. I don't want to, I want to fire you. I like, that's an awful thing to do. Like it's to fire your client. And maybe everyone else would says, Hey, that first or second time they do that, you should probably fire them. I didn't. So, and it, it maybe it lasted a little bit, a little bit too long, gave them too much of an opportunity to, um, but ultimately I had to, and it was just ultimate, it just for, for business reasons, you're, you're not paying you're agreed upon. I can't, you know, I can't support you anymore. So, um, you're, you know, it's going to, it can happen, you know, it's so, not personal. It, it's just business. Yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not so, you. It's me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're not going to pay, then you can't, you know, and that's kind of, you know, you can't really, you can't really, uh, foresee something like that happening, unfortunately. Yeah. There's nothing yeah, else so, to do really. Right. I mean, no. if somebody stopped paying you, what would you do? You know, I, electricity, electricity shirt turns off. <laughs> Phone bill doesn't you. turn on. They're, and they're not, they're like, hey, on. sorry, we're canceling your account. It's been nine minutes since your bill was due. So, <laughs> um, uh, no, no, that's, that's it. So I actually had a shift in my business model. Again, to go from the, the one-off doing this thing for this person, I'm, I'm moving to a monthly contract that gets my services because a lot of the work I do is ideal work and vision work and going into a business and helping them see like how to raise sales by doing, executing a handful of different ideas. Those ideas are what they're paying me for. Then we execute them together. Um, But I had a, had a client um, that called me and said, Hey, I just, just a few minutes, just, I have a, I want to run something past you. And they're talking for 15, 20 minutes. And literally he changed part of his business model based on our conversation. And I'm like, okay, like that seems a little bit like I've given a lot away right there. But then he, but then he, he messaged me and says, Hey, I need you to, to turn these Google ads back on. And I said, Hey, my business model has changed. I'm helping with marketing. This is a monthly contract. Here's your options. Which one do you want to do? And his reply was, I don't want a marketing professional. I just want someone to do my Google ads. And I said, cool, best wishes. And that ended our contract and literally he never texted me after that. It was literally, that was the last message. And I thought at the time it, you know, it kind of hurts, right? It, you're like, you don't see value in what I'm providing for you. Right. But that's the reason you let them go because they don't see value in what you're providing. So when the client gets to that place where they don't appreciate the work and, and it could be a million reasons, right? It could be nothing to do with me, you, Brandon. It could be nothing but taking that, that objective look and going, okay, this isn't going to work. Um, it's just not going to work. So and it's, and it's painful, but I do think that what I've wanted that person 
as a client through the pandemic. Thankfully, this happened before the pandemic. I can't imagine what sort of like back and forth the pandemic would have provided because that would have not been fun. Um, but even the approach that I've taken recently is just with clients that are some of these like ancillary, maybe legacy clients, clients I worked with 15 years ago that I needed, but now they just want me to change the blueberry picture to the sweet corn picture. Uh, I need to say, hey, you know what? If you don't want to grow with me, then I will happily okay. facilitate your yeah. my exit from you. You can grow away from me. But and you've you've grown too, right? So now and that's know. it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the same it. thing with me. Like I know that. Guess what? I'm not going to do that again. It's not going to happen. I can't. It can't happen. It's there's no there's no, uh, you know, you we all have credit, right? We all have credit. Your credit can go down. So that's why you don't get loans. So <laughs> you, you, you have maybe once or twice, but that third time, come on. I don't know. I don't know what it, I don't know what the, what the, uh, what the cutoff is, but I just know that it won't be, I won't be as, um, you, you know, understanding or, or maybe, I don't know. I just, it, hey, it, it I think the it. cutoff, yeah, the cutoff is when the money stops coming in. Cause you know, right. we've all exactly. done crap jobs. We've all done garbage yeah. jobs that we don't yeah. enjoy doing. And that's, there's no shame in doing that either. That's part, mm-hmm. as yep. part of being an entrepreneur is sometimes you just do stuff you don't like to do because it pays the bills. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But when it stops paying the bills, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not okay. That's, that's, yeah. that's it. Okay. So we kind of hit full circle. Uh, obviously there's a lot of nuance to all of this. Um, but we'll put a, sometimes you gotta, you gotta let them go. What's that song? You got no one to hold them and no one to fold them. So that's a, that's, that's a real deal. Um, and if you don't do either one of those things, you'll end up broke and probably not a very good business person. So, uh, or with yeah. a gambling addiction, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's go to our favorite things section. Um, so favorite things this week, guys, who's, uh, who's going first. Brandon, go first. Okay. Well, uh, so I, I talked about, uh, a couple of weeks ago, our, our first episode, I think I had to get a new computer. I got the 16 inch MacBook Pro, which has been great. And then what leads you naturally to your next purchase when you get a laptop is I need something to carry this thing in. And I don't have a huge commute and we're not traveling obviously much right now. I just walked, I have to work outside in the shed. So it's like, I have to walk 30 feet with my, with my little bag, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not going to carry and, you know, like a, like a tray out to the shed, the laptop as if it's a drink tray or something, but I had to get a laptop bag and, you know, this isn't a brilliant discovery because all you have to do is go on Amazon and say best laptop bags, <laughs> but I'll be honest. I found a great one and it's the number one one on Amazon for a reason. It's this company mate in M A T E I N and you'll find it easily. If you look for it, it's $30, which is obviously great. Um, it holds a 16 inch uh, laptop, so it's got plenty of room, but if you look at this thing, it looks good too, which is, you know, that's a good plus, but it also just has a lot of space. There's a lot of pockets, a lot of good padding. Um, I've been pretty impressed by it for 30 bucks. I, I, I've been burned on this Amazon choice thing before. And like, you know, the number one rated thing, and I've got some real losers, but I don't really, this is just merely, merely a bag to carry a laptop around in. And I don't travel too much with the computer. So it wasn't a huge deal, but it's a great, it's a great impulse buy. If you need a new backpack for anything, but really for your laptop and computer stuff, give it a shot 30 bucks. I mean, there's, there's way better ones for hundreds, but I think this one's pretty nice for that price. 
which one I, is it? It is. It is. Let's see. It's twenty nine ninety nine. It doesn't give you the full name. It's. Um, I'll put it in our chat. But if we do show notes for this episode, it's, we can. It's all. Uh, I see, like I guess I'm on their landing page. Its name is like travel laptop backpack business. Yeah, like, it's that whole slim, deal. Durable charging port, water resistant. Content. You can never say what something's name <laughs> is found, on Amazon. I, f- I guess I found a, a mate in Maiden uh, Laney page on Amazon, and they've got that twenty nine ninety. Is it is it gray or black yeah. or? Yeah, gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in the right spot. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I guess they call it the the molassic backpack. Who knew? This is you don't see that anywhere, but it, yeah, I mean, it's great it's though. Great. It's modern and. Tons of space and great padding and 30 bucks. So give it a shot. I actually did see this at one point in time and looking for products. So uh, nice. Uh, nice. Good find. 30 bucks. Yeah. That's, uh, that's decent. Uh, Marty, what do you have? I was going to say you go, Jake. Oh, okay. I'll go. I'll, I'll go. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So my pick this week, I'm kind of sticking with the like outside themes. Um, my wife got me a gift set of these small chipping nets for golf. I know you guys aren't big golfers, but they're three different sizes and they're like from like a 10 inch diameter up to like a two foot diameter. And it's just a little, it pops up. It's kind of on a slant and it just has a big opening with a net behind it. And you space them out in your yard and use your golf club and just try to chip for accuracy. You know, chipping for those non golfers is the small short shot with a wedge. Um, but no, I actually haven't even used them yet, which she reminded me today that I haven't used this gift that she got for me. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to use it because obviously with staying home and not going out places, looking for things to do in my yard. Um, and I'm a very competitive person, even if it's with myself. So I think this would be a good way to, to get better and, you know, compete. So I love it. Yeah. That's my, that's my pick. I want to see some ideas. I want to see some selfies doing some. Doing some you got it. Golfing in the backyard. You got it. Living that COVID life. Living that COVID <laughs> golf life. <laughs> what um, about you? Do you guys play Sudoku? Not recently. Not recently. Sudoku. I used to. I don't really. Dude. I don't really play. I really don't play Sudoku that often. Is that the math one? Yeah, it's well. So it's the grid. Yeah, it's the it's the the nine grids, and you have to try to fill in the numbers. Um, yeah, my wife loves this. I've never done it. She loves it. Okay, you've never done it. I do like when, I, when I'm on a plane. I'll usually do Sudoku. I'll open up my phone app and I've got it on my phone and play some Sudoku. Well, anyway, this is you know super random, but uh, there's this video on YouTube that is completely mesmerizing for some reason, and it's this guy trying to figure figure out a Sudoku puzzle and you have to watch it. It's called the miracle Sudoku. And, uh, it's not just, it's, if you like YouTube at all, (laughs) if you watch YouTube at all, it's 25 minutes, but it's this guy going insane and almost like pretty much, uh, it's one of the best videos I've ever seen on YouTube period of this guy figuring out, the miracle Sudoku. Um, okay. That sounds it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. Sounds, it's a good video. Uh, that's my, that's my thing. I like, uh, I had a kick out of it. I, you know, it's not something you're going to watch over and over again, but I think, um, let's see. I don't want to, 
say something that let's see i think i i think the uh you know sudoku will have pre-populated numbers and so you have to figure it out from there i think this one maybe has one one digit and that's it yeah so it's just blank it's kind of it's kind of it's one yeah. digit yeah, okay. I think it has one. I think that's the one that has one digit. I went down a YouTube hole and watched a couple of them, so I may be forgetting which one this one specifically is. But this one was the best one just because of his reaction of how he figure how he goes through it goes through it. So from the start to finish, um, pretty little cool little community they have okay. there. Okay, a couple million views. Or no, just a million and a million and the third. And so is this is this like a, like comedic or like like mind blowing, like intense. Is it like, uh, is it it's kind of like, it like you're, you're, you're kind of like, yeah, you're like, there's no, way. there's no, way. there's no, yeah. You're just, it's, it's more of like a, there's no way this guy's going to finish this Sudoku and he does. And so, uh, spoiler, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> just gave it okay. away. But it looks like spoiler. there's no way you could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I was probably going to skip to the last like five minutes anyway. No, no, you got to, it's the, it's okay. his, it's his, right. it's him so going through good. it. All right. Well, it's part of the video. Probably throw that link in our show notes. <laughs> I, yeah, no, super, we will. Super geekery. I will, I will watch this. I will force myself to watch this because you, you should watch it. it. You should watch it. Um, all right. Well, great. I think we got all of our favorite things. I'm going to watch it and then film my reaction. And that's all you'll see. Okay. So I'll just film me I'm watching not. him do it. I'm sure. I think there are. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, all right, guys. <laughs> there probably are fun. people doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, great. Excellent conversation. Good time hanging with you guys. Um, stay tuned next week. Apple's doing a fitness app. So we will do a deep dive into that next week. So oh, pretty yeah. excited. Until that. then. See you guys later. Watch out Peloton. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freelance Dance. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.